0: We get to camp out in 1 Samuel 25 and and meet three friends of mine. Uh, They don't know me yet, but uh, I'll get to see two of them in heaven. Um, What you'll hear now is a story, not a a long list of biblical principles, although they they are there. this This is a true story about an intelligent and beautiful wife and a surly, mean husband, and David, the good, the bad, and the angry. Let me pray. Father, this story takes place in the Middle East. It actually happened in Israel. It involved King David and two other people identified and tucked into this this little passage in 1 Samuel 25, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to share this story. God, would you, would you let the hearers of this story be awed by who you are, that you may be honored, and that we might worship you. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. From 1 Samuel 25, chapter verse 2, we enter the story in the desert of Maon, in the area of Carmel. And right away we learn about Nabal, a certain man in Maon who was very wealthy. Now he's rich because he owns a 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he's shearing in Carmel at this time. He's done well. I wonder if he, did he inherit the flocks and the property or, or did he work for them? Is he grateful and humble uh, in in that wealth, or or is he arrogant and self-centered? Well, let's watch as the story unfolds. In verse 3, we meet Abigail and learn more about hubby Nabal. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. I, I don't know how he trapped Abigail into being his wife, but she's a gem, intelligent and beautiful. I've got a spoiler alert here. God will eventually let her be cherished as a wife of David, but now she's married to a beast. Here's Nabal surly and mean. I wonder why. Pride, arrogance. Maybe he's just convinced that he's better than others, dismissing them with a snarl. Or, or maybe, maybe his life is governed by fear and he attacks, thinking folks are out to take advantage of him. So he, he snorts and, and roars relationally. And every interaction is, is a fight that he will win and people are exploited, and they learn to bend to his will, and he gains more wealth and power. Well, let's learn how David meets the fool Nabal. Remember now, David's on the run from King Saul and is hiding out with a a good-sized crowd of followers, hundreds of them. He and his boys have quietly been protecting Nabal's flocks and shepherds, from raiders and and even animal predators. And David has has mouths to feed. He'd he'd like some small, quote, remuneration for the protection of Nabal's shepherds and flocks against pillaging, verse 7. This is why David sends 10 of his merry men to Nabal to get food. David's men are respectful in their introduction and their request. This is a a free will donation opportunity for Nabal. The courteous thing would be for him to respond with kindness, motivated by gratitude. Nabal's reaction, chapter 25, verses 10 and 11. Who is this David? And Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered with my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Okay, so he disrespects David and David's family and then labels him a rebel for leaving the court of King Saul. By the way, notice that Nabal also claims that all that he owns is actually his instead of being a steward of all that God has given him. But that's a common mistake even today. Well, it's a selfish decision in response to David's unsolicited protection. Maybe his bigger error, though, is that he doesn't consider who he's disrespecting. David is enraged at being treated this way Strap on your swords, boys, 400 of you. Now this is a small army, an overwhelming force, led by an angry warrior who hasn't enjoyed much respect or success lately. Nabal, he has no idea that he's about to be squashed like a bug. But David has a problem. He's not listening to God's voice this time he's convinced that he is right to do what he's planned and the rage feels great. He's in control and is gonna show the world what happens when you disrespect David, hear him roar. (laughs) Meanwhile, back at the farm, one of Nabal's servants has a, a quiet conversation with Abigail, whom we've already heard is intelligent and beautiful. In verse 14, she hears of Nabal's disrespect of David and and sees the crisis as a disaster hanging over her husband and his whole household. Now, there's a lot of ways that she could go. She can try to confront Nabal. She can stay where she is and and find a place to hide. Or she can saddle up and, and get away. But from verses 18 and 19, she immediately goes into action with one goal, not to change her husband's mind, but to try to stop David's attack. The plan is to humbly give David the supplies he should have gotten in the first place. Well, maybe a little extra. Bread, wine, sheep, grain, raisin and fig cakes all loaded on donkeys. Uh, This is some serious food. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. (laughs) More intelligence showing. And off she goes. Nabal doesn't even know that she's gone, clueless to the piles of his provisions that are about to be handed over to David. And that the results of this conversation may mean that he lives or dies that day. In verses 20 to 22, it tells us the day, what David's planning. He's speaking to someone among his eager fighters and basically says, all we did for this guy, useless. He paid me back evil for good. And in the NIV study notes, it adds, and then David invites a curse on himself if he should fail to kill every man in Nabal's household and so obliterate Nabal's family, unquote. Well, his intentions are pretty clear. He's motivated for blood, and that's what our sweet Abigail is riding into. She rides up a mountain ravine, and here comes David riding down the path toward her, and they now come face to face. The loaded donkeys are there. The four hungry, 400 hungry warriors are there. He sure doesn't expect to see her. Verses 23 and 24. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Do you see how right away she honors him? My Lord, she calls him. Now there's some respect. And then she leads with repentance as she bows before him face to the ground. Let the blame be on me alone. All of this heard by David, I think it begins to dilute the strength of the the retribution mission. Brilliant and courageous of her. In verse 25, she condemns Nabal as the wicked man who is, quote, a fool and folly goes with him, unquote. David pays no attention to Nabal. Don't don't do it. Dismiss him for what he is and move on, says Abigail. She's real and she's humble. She could have stopped there and let David decide whether or not to accept her words but she knows that he's going to have to release his anger, letting go of the thrill to kill. If he decides to turn back, will he feel weak? Yeah, Probably. And and what leader wants to be weak, especially in front of a woman and his men, and after a vow to slaughter a whole bunch of people? So wisely, Abigail continues clarifying the danger of his planned revenge. And in verse 26, she becomes God's agent, speaking God's words to a future king. Now, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed, (laughs) you see what she just did? Abby presumes that his attack is or will be called off. There's nothing from David to indicate that unless perhaps she, she saw his face soften. She also points out that to slaughter Nabal might feel good, but it's probably murder. And doing so destroys David's integrity. That's a critical piece that's required to lead well. No, this would be needless bloodshed on his record. She's good, what a speech. She's teaching God's sovereignty, warning David of making his own decisions and instead encouraging worship. She finishes. I wonder how long the silence, only the sound of snorting horses and grumbling stomachs. David's, he has just had his spiritual chin lifted taking his rage-filled eyes focused on a fool and now lifted up to look at heaven and see God's will for him there. Oh, David, anger must be on a leash and you have to learn to make decisions with God's leading. So he has two choices. The first one, continue to pursue the attack. That one feels great, powerful and he won't look weak in front of his men. It's action, doing something. Get out of my way, woman, replies an angry David. Your husband is a dead man. And Abigail is pushed to the side of the path as David and the 400 ride past her, preparing for an easy slaughter. Or he can turn around and let Nabal live. Yeah, this this is a tough one. It requires a dependent trust that God sees and knows and will take care of the fool in his own way and in his own time. David ends up praising God for sending Abigail. Listen listen to what he says to her. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Verse 33, if you hadn't come, Abby, they would all have been slaughtered by sunset. Then he accepts her gifts and says goodbye with, go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. See, she wasn't there to save a worthless husband, but to keep David from serious bloodshed in his own strength from his commitment To self-sufficiency. Now our story could end there, but God wants to show Himself as judge and as gift giver. Verses 37-38, she gets back home and presumably seeks out her husband. He's, quote, holding a banquet like that of a king. He was high in spirits and very drunk. She needs to confront Nabal. Yeah, well, bad timing if she wants her words to have impact. So she waits till morning when he's sober but probably hungover. And then she tells him, quote, all these things, unquote. How does she tell him? Does she practice her speech? Does she confront with anger or ask questions? Is she afraid he would become enraged and and hurt her? Is she hoping to see him change? What, what a stark contrast she's experiencing, confronting David and then Nabal. Well, what God does next was never part of her strategy. Verse 37 says about Nabal, his heart failed him and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. She had told David to let God be the one to take care of Nabal. Yep. God, you, you who are sovereign, you didn't wait 10 years or 10 months to end his life. You, you designed a heart attack or, or the popped blood vessel in his brain or, or whatever. And 10 days later, he's gone. This is, this is a deadly confirmation of your power to Abigail and a great lesson to David of your presence in retribution. <laughs> I wonder how many of Nabal's farmhands and, and herders were, were thrilled at the funeral. Verse 39, David hears that Nabal is dead and is delightfully honest about his own thoughts. Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. David sees the obvious, God's justice, but he also recognizes God's protection from his own rashness. I wonder how quickly He he thought of God's agent of protection, the wise and beautiful widow, Abigail. From verses 39 and 40, David doesn't spend a lot of time grieving over Nabal's death, but he is eagerly sympathetic for the poor widow. Thoughtful and sensitive man that he is, he's so concerned that he asks her to marry him. Quote, then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife, end quote. He sent word. Yeah, that's, that's a little different type of proposal that we're used to. But his servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. I'll be, I bet she isn't expecting these men with this message. How will she respond? So Abigail listens to their message and takes, oh, a week to consider this offer with prayer and fasting. No. She replies, "Uh, excuse me, gentlemen, what did you say? Oh, okay, let me get my things. See how she, she longs to be cherished, to be appreciated and loved well. In verse 42, Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five maids, went with David's messengers and became his wife. I wonder what that ride was like from Nabal's house to the desert camp of David. What was their first meeting like? Was there a a formal wedding in the camp? Are 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 they one of those couples that are married and live happily ever after? Well, the good, the bad, and the angry... As God has directed this story, now Abigail is better than good. Nabal is worse than bad. And David, with his wise and beautiful bride, is no longer angry. Let me pray. Father, you can draw so much out of just three individuals, very, very human people. And we understand many of the emotions that these three felt. Thank you for having them be a part of your scriptures. Uh, This is truth. And we thank you for the things we've learned from them uh, about you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.